But you can go in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. There is a call to honor and there is a call to dishonor. Which one is louder for you? Way back when we started this series, we did take a look at this particular person in the Bible into a deep dive on them. We're going to take a lot more look at this story today. This particular passage, this account is told to us in three different Gospels. And so we're going to take a look at two of them, refer to something over in Luke as well. Last week we were looking at the envy and jealousy that we found in the home of Jacob and Rachel. And something I did not get into when we were with you last time is that Jacob pronounced a pronounced something upon the person with whom the idol was found. Do you remember that? He said, may that person die. He pronounced death upon that person. And though the idol was not found with anybody, the idol was with Rachel. And when she gave birth after that, she died. It is very possible that he opened the door for that. Be careful of the things you say with your mouth. God does not desire that that uh, she or anyone else would die in childbirth. But don't let those those things come out. The enemy wants to try and use some of those things against us. If you go over to Mark chapter 10, verse 17, something else we went over with you when we first got into this series, the amount of honor we render or give to something is measured by the amount of positive thought we give to it. The amount of honor we render to something is measured by the amount of positive thought we give to it. If you want to see how much you honor something, just look to see how much positive thought you give it. There is a strong connection. We said way back in the beginning, we're going to show you some more of this, but there is a strong connection between obedience and honor. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, now he was, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked Asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now if you go over to Matthew's passage in verses 16 and 17, says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now you'll see some differences between these. One that, uh, one in particular, is... In the first passage, we read over the commands that Jesus said. In this one, Matthew just tells us, keep the commandments. And he didn't go over the, the different ones. When someone's telling a story, or sometimes you're relating the story of something that happened, very often certain aspects of that story will jump out to you. They will become more more real to you. It would seem that Mark's gospel, and remember Mark's gospel is basically Peter's gospel. It's not written in that way, but it's the gospel according to Peter. Peter related to Mark. Mark wrote it down. So this is something that Peter was observing. 
And Peter must have gotten revelation at some point that the particular commands that he gave were related to each other. And so it stuck out in his mind as to what it was. Matthew was looking at other aspects of the story and didn't draw those ones in the same way. Now, according to Matthew, this person was a youth. The word that he uses here would be one under 40. So he would be a young man. Luke uses the word for him uh, first, such as first in rank or power. So somehow he may have been a young man uh, under 40. But he was someone who was either a chief ruler, a magistrate, a prince, a ruler somehow. He shows him as as being that. So sometimes the Greek will, will show us different things. So it tells us a little bit about him. He was not just run some run-of-the-mill man. He was uh, not an older man. He was a, a younger man. And he had a rank of some type. When he calls him good teacher, the word there, good, is agathos. We've talked about that word a number of times. Good in the sense of beneficial or good in the sense of a benefit. It brings benefit. Best example I always use for that is when you go into the store and you look for the different food types that are there. Whatever kind of food thing you're looking for, you're, you're looking for either the presence of certain ingredients or the absence of certain ingredients. The presence or absence of those ingredients tells you that it is good. Now, this does not mean good as in I like Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Or I like Wawa coffee. I don't like any coffee, so it doesn't make any difference. But some people, you know, there's there's people that have strong feelings about what kind of coffee they drink if they're going out to buy it, if they're not making it at home. Probably if you make it at home, you get what kind you, you like better, maybe. But if you go out to, to buy it, some people say, oh, I don't like Wawa coffee. Wawa's coffee is too... It's not... It's it's something. It's It's missing something or it possesses something. Dunkin' Donuts coffee, it's too this, it's not this. Uh, McDonald's coffee, I like that, I don't like that. And there's reasons for it. There's either the presence of something that is too strong, it's too weak, or it, it's bitter. It has something that you don't like. Whatever whatever it is, you're, you're a connoisseur of, of coffee to, uh, to an extent, and you just know what you like. And... And so that's what the, what it is that you get. Now, my wife is the coffee drinker in our family, and so she'll tell me what kind of things that she that she likes. I know better what she doesn't like. I know, no, don't get that. She don't like that one. Mm-mm. We we stay away from that. Uh, I know a couple of brands. Sometimes she sends me out to the store, you know, p- pick up this one, so I could go out to the store right now and pick up a brand of coffee that I know that she likes. Uh, there's two go-to ones that we have. And I can grab either one of those, bring it on home, and she'll be happy. But uh, do not bring home the Starbucks. She don't like it. We don't like the company for one thing, but beside that, she just doesn't like the coffee. So the, the presence of something or the absence of something is what will tell us whether we like it or not. But this word good is not good in like, I like this coffee better than this coffee. It's good in that this is beneficial for me. This is not beneficial for me. So understand what Agathos is talking about here. It's talking about good as in benefit. Not just good as in taste. 
Not just good and as in, I like that one better. Good as in benefit. This one will benefit me more. How many of you folks pick up something, buy something, bring it home to the house to eat when there is a product you like the taste of better? You do it because it has greater benefit. Anybody buy anything? I'm going to buy this one because it's better for me, but I like this one better. I'm going to go and buy the fruit, but I would rather have the Oreo cookies. And so we we pick something because there's a greater benefit for us in bringing this home. So when he's using this word agathos, and you'll see this word throughout the, the passage, he's saying this is something that is good as in benefit. Not just good tasting, not just good to my palate, not just something that I like better than something else. And so he says, if you're calling me good, you're calling me a good teacher, you're calling me a teacher who is bringing benefit into your life, Do you understand that no one brings benefit except for God? God is the one who brings benefit into our life. Are you willing to say, he's not calling him God. He's calling him of God. No one is good except God is what Jesus says. He is saying, are you willing, are you saying that I am from God? Because that's a big debate in Jesus' day. Is he from God? Is he not? So here is some kind of a ruler who is coming to him and saying, good teacher. And in in one of the passages, it actually says, good teacher, what good thing must I do? What thing must I accomplish? So, in Matthew's, or in Mark's gospel, Verse 19, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Now these are all good things. How many of y'all know that if you don't do these things, your life benefits? Our life is better if I don't commit adultery. Our life is better if I don't murder. My life is better if I don't steal. It's better if I don't bear false witness. These are the these are the things that he's saying. And we can agree with that. Our life is better. That does not always keep me from doing what the Bible says I shouldn't do. Sometimes I go ahead and I do that. Even though I know my life is better doing what the Word of God says, sometimes I get pulled over. That's what temptation is. Matthew just says, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So he's given him a list here of things to do. What good thing shall I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? This man does not believe that he has inherited eternal life yet. Does he? Now imagine this. Here you've got a, a person who says, I have kept... You, he doesn't say, hasn't said this yet, but you know he, he does say it. I have kept these commands all my life. We have a person here who has kept the commandments of God all his life. He has kept themselves from some things that other people would find enjoyable. Other people would find bring benefit into their life. He has kept himself from it all his life for the purpose of having eternal life. And however old he is, he's somewhere under the age of 40. If he's 30 years old, He has lived his life all those years to obtain something 
he feels he still has not obtained. That's a tough place to be. What good things shall I do? Now, people easily focus on what we must do or refrain from doing to be good. If you talk to most people in the world today, most people that are unsaved, if you say, are you going to heaven? Well, I have never done the list of things that they haven't done. I haven't done those, those things because it's easier for me to understand eternal life is obtained by the things that I do or don't do. Well, I try and do good. I try and help people. I t- and they'll list all the things. I've given to. I have fed the poor. They'll list the things because this is how we generally do it. This is a trap the enemy sets. He wants people to think. He wants Christians. He wants non-Christians alike to think it is what you do and what you don't do that gets you to heaven. Now, this thought permeates society. It is all over. So much so that most people still talk about getting to the pearly gates to find out if I'll be let in. Well, no, if you show up at the pearly gates, you're in. It's the people who don't show up there who don't make it. But if you get to the gates, there's no, well, let's see all the things that you've done and see whether that merits you going on the other side or not. That's not how it is. If you show up, if you go up after you die, you're in. If you go down, you're not. That's all there is to it. But that's what people can focus on, what I must do or what I must refrain from doing. That there is a good that can be obtained outside of actions that are good or bad. I don't, most people would say, I don't know it. All good to, to the people of the world and unfortunately to many Christians, all good is measured by the amount of good I do or the amount of evil I refrain from doing. So this is what this man is talking about. Now Jesus talks to him in a language he understands and he, according to uh, uh, Matthew's gospel or Mark's, uh, Mark's gospel, you know the commandments and he lists them. Not all of them, he lists them. Lists them. It's interesting to note that Peter remembered which ones he listed and he records them for us. So this man does not believe that he's obtained eternal life, though that's what he's living his life to obtain. It is easier, I think I put this on your outline for you, maybe I didn't, but it's easier for our flesh to rely on something to do instead of something done. Very difficult for people in the world to believe that I am saved because of what Jesus has done. It is much easier for them to realize I am saved because of what I do. This is where this man is. So he has spent all his life pursuing eternal life, pursuing the things of God, staying away from the things that he considers to be bad, pursuing the things that he considers to be good. And the best revelation he's got is, I need to do more good than bad. I need to outweigh the good with the bad. But I just don't feel like I'm getting there. If, If my flesh can be satisfied by me looking at what I am doing or what I am not doing, then I can get that sense, that feeling, I deserve this. Well, people in the world that are not born again, are you going to hell? Well, no, I don't deserve to go to hell. I haven't done anything. 
really bad. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't no list of things that they haven't haven't done. I don't I don't deserve that. It's easier for us to receive something when I felt I have deserved it. Just like at Christmas time. Christmas time comes along and somebody buys you a gift, hands it to you all beautifully wrapped. And you're think what's your first thought? Oh, I didn't get them a gift. Or I did get them a gift, it's just not here. Because you see, I feel like I gotta qualify for anything that I receive. We have to get out of that thinking with, with the things of God. Let's go on to, to uh, Mark again, verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So from the time, he's not saying from the time he was born. He's saying from the time I was young, from the time that I was able to comprehend what is good and what is not, what is the law and what is not the law, what is commanded and what is not commanded, by the time I was able to comprehend that, I made sure to incorporate it in my life, doing those things your word said to do, not doing those things your word said not to do. These things I have kept from my youth. Matthew nineteen seventeen puts it this way, So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Same word there. He said to him, which ones? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept from my youth. So there in Matthew's gospel, he also will record it. First thing he says, just have you done the commandments? Then we go into this and he gives him a list too. But notice the list. Notice what the list is is looking at here. All these things in in both these lists are talking about things that I do to others. All of them talk about parallel. Parallel things. I can't murder God, but I can murder another person. I can't... uh, do some of those things. I can't uh, do these things. These are things that you would do to other people. And you haven't done that to other people is what he's, he's looking at the parallel side. All the commandments in the, in the first ten commandments that were, that were given, that were listed as the ten commandments, all those ones that deal between me and God, he left out. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. He left that one out. Now he did it intentionally. So Jesus gives some of the commands, but he stays away from those that are more between God and man. He stays away from those. It would seem here that Jesus is just trying to make it easier for him to give an affirmative answer. For him to give, yes, I've done that. Yes, I have done that. He gave them ones that he knew. Of course, he's only speaking things that God would say. He's speaking things. God says, speak these. Show him these. Speak these to him. Keep these commandments. Well, I've done that since my youth. Now, he may have been breathing a sigh of relief that Jesus didn't pick one that he knew he was struggling with. But even though he's done this, he's kept this from his youth, he still feels down the inside, there's something that I'm missing. There is still something that I lack. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. That's in verse 20 of Mark. In verse 20 of Matthew 19, The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do 
I still lack. So he knows that down on the inside, I'm lacking something. Something is missing. I don't know what it is, but I know something is missing. It's kind of like if you were to make a recipe, maybe you had a, a recipe that your grandmother had, and you're trying to make that, you're trying to copy that recipe, and you've made it, but it's it's missing something. It's not quite the same. You don't know what it is. Uh, I know I'm missing something, or I'm putting too much into something, or not enough into something else, or I, I don't know what it is. But you know it's missing something. It's good, but it's not to the level of what you've had before. This man knows I'm I'm doing good things, I'm living a good life, but I know I'm lacking something. And that lack is telling me that I may be missing eternal life altogether. And he's concerned. Some people in the world, they don't care that they're missing out on life. Now the word lack here means uh, to be inferior, to fall short, to come behind, to lack or suffer need, to be in want. These are the things that, that this particular word lack is talking about. This word lack that is used here in Mark and in Matthew, this is what it's, it's talking about. You're coming up short on something. This is what this man is saying. When he says, what more do I lack? What is it that I'm coming up short in? What is it that I haven't done sufficiently? What is it that I haven't found yet? All these I have kept from my youth. Now, when he went here and he's going to answer Jesus, we look at the answer in Mark. Teacher, all these things I kept from my youth. Look at the, the answer in Matthew. All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Now there's two ways, I put this in your outline for you, there's two ways that this man could have answered. He could have answered the first way, kind of smug. It could have been a smugness to him. Have you ever had somebody who answers you kind of smug? You tell them something, what is it that you that you need to do? Well, you probably need to do this. Well, of course I've done that. <laughs> you know, you get that little bit of a smugness that is, that is there. It's like when you call up technical support for a particular uh, item that you have at the home and it's, it's not working. It's not coming on at all. What do they ask you? What's the first thing they ask you? You all know. Is it plugged in? Is it plugged in? Now, the reason, there's a reason why they ask that question at the top. Because they have run into it a lot of times where the person on the other end has not plugged it in. Or it became unplugged. But a lot of times when we hear that, we say, of course it is. And there's, there's a smugness that's to us. There's a, there's an attitude that's there. Sometimes you can even call up technical support people and you can tell them, uh, all right, I've done all this. I went through all this checklist. And they'll still say, will you go and check and make sure it's plugged in? <sighs> all right. But I'm telling you this. I said, you can go and you check to make sure it's plugged in. We had an inc- incident back in the, uh, with the, the soundboard. We were trying to solve a couple of issues that, that kept coming up. And so uh, I set out to try and, to try and solve these things. And 
So in my mind, I'm going through what are they going to ask me to do. And so I had this checklist in myself and I went through the checklist. I came up with about three things that I figured they're going to want to make sure that I either checked or did before they were going to take me any place advanced on this. And I know none of these things are a problem. And so I ran through the checklist and I wrote down the numbers of the things that we would need to know. And so when I called them, I let them know, these are the things that I've done. This is what it's doing. And I've run through these checks already and this is so. I'll tell you, I had one of the best experiences with customer service people because they did not take me to the beginning of the list and start working their way down. They understood. He's already checked these things out. Let's go on with the next part. Oh, I was so grateful for that. And so we, I wasn't on the phone very long. He gave me something else that we could check on. Dude, all right, I didn't know about that one. I'm going to go check that one out. And so we went on out and I said, I'll call you back if I need it. And so we, uh, we set out to do it. We eventually did get the problems taken care of. But there's a reason why they go back to these things because these, the basic things are what most people have a problem with. And so Jesus seems to be going back to this. One way this guy could have answered was to be smug. But I don't think that's the way the man answered. There is that expectation a lot of times with the way that this has been taught with, with people that he was a little bit smug in his answer. But I don't see that he was because of the response that he got from Jesus. And if we look at the response, verse 21, then Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way. So whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. I think he did not answer with smugness. I think he went a second direction. I think this man answered with disappointment. I think he answered because he was disappointed. He came to Jesus because he saw Jesus was of God. You are the good teacher. And he came to Jesus because this was a genuine problem in his life. It took up a lot of his time. He lived his life for purpose of eternal life. And he didn't feel like he's obtaining it. Here's this man. He seems to be teaching with a different uh, authority than others. He's, he's of God. He came to him and he said, Good teacher, I, 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 know, you, I know that you're of God. And know that you are from God. I got this question. I need an answer to it. And Jesus gives him a basic answer. I think he's disappointed. And I think it comes out in what he says. Because only one person recorded this. And that is in Mark. Only one person saw this. Look at it. Let me read this to you again. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Put yourself in the position here. Jesus is having this interaction with this man. And after he says this, he looks on, he's looking at the man. He's got his eyes on him. And he loves him. That tells me he's not smug. Because what do you want to do with somebody who's smug in their answer to you? Does the overwhelming driving force come up on the inside of you to love them? Overwhelming driving force come up inside to smack them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I think he was disappointed. He's hoping to get an answer. I'm, I'm looking for you to give me an answer. I know there's an answer out there. I know there's something that I'm missing. I really want to have this. This, this is a man who is trying to give honor to the things of God. Has lived his life to give honor to the things of God. And feels like there is something I'm missing. Something I need to give honor to that I haven't given honor to. That if I can find that thing, I can accomplish it. Jesus looking ahead him, loved him. That word there for loved is agape. From the word agape. It's actually agapeo, which is the verb form. Jesus, look, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack. Only one person caught this look, or only one person recorded it. If you're wondering why that is, his disciples are all around him. But probably Peter is one of those who's in a position to not see the man but to see Jesus. He probably doesn't see the face of the man, but he sees the face of Jesus. Would you all do something for me? Take out your bulletin. Take a look at the cover. Do you see how you could be in this crowd and you could be facing in one direction and see the face of Jesus? And be another direction and see the face of the man. I think Peter was on the side of how that picture is. He sees the face of Jesus. Now, how many have some relatives in your in your family or some people that you're close to, and when they give a look, you know exactly what's behind that look. Somebody else is sitting next to you. You may even say, "Did you see that look? What, what look? I didn't, I didn't see no look." Oh yeah, there was a look there. I know that look. And I know what that look means. That means that that person is angry. That means that person is disappointed. Whatever it is, we we can tell just in an instant. They look a certain way. Ah, I got it. I, I, I know what that look is. Peter has seen this look before. I've seen that look in Jesus. I know what that look means. That means he's looking at you and you don't have the answer. But he really wants you to get it. He's moved with love and compassion. And he's going to try and tell you just exactly what you need to help you. Peter saw that look. It's not that the other disciples couldn't have said it. Not all the disciples wrote down their account. Some of the ones sitting next to Peter, they probably didn't write down their account. Matthew's probably on the side looking at the man. But Peter's looking at Jesus. And he sees the look. And so when Mark is writing this down, he says to Mark, Mark, make sure you get this. Jesus was looking at him and I could tell from his eyes he loved him. There was a love that was going out from Jesus to this man. And he said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. 
Now, now check this out. How many things does he lack? How many? One. Is there a difference between one and five? There is, isn't there? Not everybody's taught that anymore. One thing you lack. One. Go your way. How many things is that? It's one. Sell whatever you have. Two. Give it to the poor. Three. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. That's at least five. You might even be able to get six or seven out of it. If he's lacking one thing, why does he tell him to do five? If he's lacking one thing, wouldn't that be one thing to do? One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross. Follow me. But he was sad at this word, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Hmm. In Matthew's Gospel, verse 20, the young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Huh. How many things are in that list? If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, give to the poor, you have treasure in heaven, come follow me. That's not quite five, is it? He left out some of the things that were in Mark's list. Because the five things is not what he lacked. He does not lack these five things, six things, seven things. He doesn't lack those. He lacked one thing. Jesus had told him to do a number of things. He said here in Matthew, if you want to be perfect, that word for perfect means complete. Talks about having all that is needed. Completeness. Talking about not only growth, mental growth, moral character, all these things, they would be complete. Doesn't mean perfect as in blemish free. It means you would have the things that you need. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Interesting though, in Luke's gospel, when he says this, talks about the same story, he says, all these things I have kept from my use. And when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. He uses a word here for lack that is different than the other two. Luke uses the word lepo. It's a word for lack. It means to leave, to fail, or to be absent. 
to be destitute, wanting, or lacking. That's not the word that the other two used. They used the, the word hysterio, which means to be inferior, to fall short, to come behind, fall, lack, suffer, to be in want, to be made worse. So what's the difference? Basically, I wrote it down for you this way. From Luke, what am I still missing? What is still lacking from what I am doing? I've got all these things I'm doing. What am I still lacking? Whereas Mark and Matthew put it this way. What do I fall behind in? Luke uses the word that says there's still something out there I'm, I'm lacking. Matthew and Mark are looking, what am I still falling behind in? I'm, I'm, work, I'm, I'm doing these things, but somehow I'm coming up short. I'm not quite achieving the level I need to in these things that I'm doing. Luke says, he's looking at more, something completely is missing. What is it? What is that thing that is missing? Now, I wrote this down in, in my outline. It's not in yours. But it's the things that we do or don't do that show what we lack. It is the things that we do or don't do that show what we lack. Many things can come from one lack. Now, I'm going to give you one example because we can probably all relate to this. At some point in your life, maybe now, maybe before, if you have a lack of money, think back to a time when you lacked money. If I lack money, if I was a little short this month, this week, whatever it might be, if I lack money, there were certain things I did or didn't do. If I lack money, I don't go out to eat. I buy stuff and bring it home. I don't buy new clothes. I don't go on trips. Some of the things I do do, they eat maybe ramen noodles. College students are always supposed to be poor. Supposed to eat ramen noodles. To um, how many people ate ramen noodles? Yeah, I never, I didn't never got into them. Great kids love them. They don't eat them because they need to. They eat them because they want to. I don't understand it. They never looked appetizing. I don't think I ever tried it. When I was in college, what I would do is I would eat bread. Just bread. In between meals, I'd, I'd eat bread. I think I told you that before. I have bread sandwiches. Slice of bread between two slices of bread. And so I would sit there studying with a whole loaf of bread. They would give me down in the cafeteria, let me take a whole loaf of bread out. And about every other day, I would take a new loaf of bread out because I would consume a loaf of bread in two days between meals just to try not to lose weight. So I would take all that, three, just grab three slices of whole wheat bread and just start eating. And uh, grab another another set and it didn't take me more than two days just to go through the bread. So that's what, that's what I did. You had to have things that you can keep in the, in the, uh, in the place. So we did that. But, uh, some people, they may set out to eat ramen noodles once they got some more money in the bank and once they had some, some things, they didn't go back to eating ramen noodles. Some people, if you, if you're not having the, the money that you need, you might turn the heat down. Put a sweater on. Or a sweatshirt and a sweater. 
or a sweatshirt and a sweater and a blanket. <laughs> Depending upon how far you had to turn the heat down. So it's, it's, it's not that you lacked heat. It's not that you lacked the ability to go out and buy, or the, the stores to go out and buy food. What I lacked was money to go do it. And so because of the lack of the money, it caused me to do or not do certain things. And so what Jesus is going to show him here is your lack is going to be revealed by the things that you do or the things that you don't do. So what is the one thing what is the one thing that this man lacks? Put it simply, trust in God. This man lacked trust in God. We know that because right after this, he's going to get into the passage. We're not going to get into the, the whole part. But if you want to keep on reading, you're going to find out that he teaches his disciples that people who trust in riches are going to have a problem. Why? Because his trust wasn't in God. His trust was in his riches. It's not that he didn't trust God. It's not that he had no trust for God. It's just that he trusted riches more than he trusted God. And Jesus was going to pinpoint this for him. I think I have this in your outline. It is easier to trust in the thing we have in abundance than to trust in what we possess that is unseen. See, money, if I have money in abundance, it's easy for me to trust in that. But my faith is unseen. God is, is not something that I can see. I don't see all the riches that He has. These are things that are unseen. It is harder for me to trust in them, but it's easier for me to trust in what I have. Now, as long as I walk in the trust that the money will get me through, I can walk in trust for God because if God ever let me down, I got this. Right here. Here we go. If God ever lets me down, well, I got money. I don't need God. I got more, I got more money. Some people might even think I got more money than He does. You don't. But they may think that. So as, as long as He has that, He's not put into a place where He has to trust it. I don't have to trust God. I don't have to put that trust to, to work because I got the money here. And I can, I can do things with the money. So it is easier to trust in the thing we have in abundance than to trust in what we possess that is unseen. In this world, the voice of riches is very loud. Giving up and letting go. That's tough. It's very difficult for some people to do. I put this, I think I put this in your outline. You give up what you have been blessed with. That's things that you give up. If God has blessed you with something, you can give that up. But you let go of what you you are not supposed to have. See, there's sometimes we have some things in our life, I'm not supposed to have it. I have it, but I'm not supposed to have it. 
I don't give that up for God. I I wasn't supposed to have it to begin with. But I have it. Just because you give it away doesn't mean that you gave anything up for God. You weren't supposed to have it. There's uh, some examples of this would be relationships, possessions, actions, things that we do. There is a, uh, how many have ever heard of Catherine Coleman? Catherine Coleman, uh, I don't know everything about her, her life, but I know a few things that, were, that she had related to. But apparently she had a relationship with a, with a particular guy. And that relationship was not conducive to her flowing in the anointing or pursuing the call of God in her life. So she wrote of it as in, this is something great that she gave up for God. We don't give up what we're not supposed to have. If God says, that's not for you, that's not a thing you're supposed to go after, I don't give it up. I'm not supposed to have it, so I let it go. See, the enemy is always trying to get us to pick up, take hold of things that are not supposed to have, because that'll be an anchor. That'll be a weight. That'll be something to, to hold us back. He'll, he, not just with people, he'll do this with feelings. If I can get this feeling of resentment attached to this person, that will hold them back. Last week we were looking at envy and jealousy. If he can get envy and jealousy attached into your life, that will hold you back. You don't go up to God and say, God, I am giving up envy and jealousy for you. No, you weren't supposed to have it. You gotta let it go. You let it go, things will work out better. Matthew nineteen twenty two. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say to you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Doesn't say this, as a lot of people try and assume, if you have money, you're going to miss God. No, that's not it at all. The disciples had money. Most of them were, I don't know if you would call them rich, but they were well off. They had their own business, they had their own boats, they had things that were, were there. Matthew was a tax collector. Generally, those folks are pretty well off. They're, they, they've got some money. And so if you go on to the passage, the rest of this passage, which we're not going to go into here, you're going to find out that the disciples were greatly astonished. If you were poor and Jesus says the rich can't get into heaven very easily, you're saying, that's right, that's right, but we're poor, we're getting in. The reason they were greatly astonished in this passage is because Jesus is teaching them. Rich people have a hard time getting into the kingdom of God. Well, wait a minute, we're sold out here for this kingdom. You're going to tell us that we have a hard time getting into the kingdom? Look at what we left behind. And they were greatly concerned about this. Just because you have those things doesn't mean that they have you, as the saying goes. And the disciples, they had no trouble leaving behind what they had. Now, there was other people that probably received the call, come follow me, and they probably held on to what they had. And they didn't come. But these ones, they, they let those things go. And they pursued him. So if Jesus showed up to you and said this to you, how would you respond? Are there some areas you'd be resisting in? Because he told him, he says, look, 
go and sell all that you, all that you got, not half. He didn't sell, say sell half of what you have. He said sell it all. And you see, just to, to emphasize this, I want you to sell it all, liquidate it, and then take all that money and give it to the poor. Now, people come out with doctrines that that's what we should do. We should sell everything we have, give it to the poor. No, this is what this person was to do. He does not say that to any of his disciples that apparently they had money. He didn't say to Peter, go sell all that you got and then come follow me. He didn't say that to Peter. He didn't say it to John. He didn't say it to James. He didn't say it to any of these guys. In fact, afterwards, when Jesus was crucified, they went back to the boat. They still had him. Other people were working for him, but they still had him. They didn't sell him. It's not a requirement that you sell all that you got, give it to the poor. It was for him because he depended on it. He's, and he knew in his spirit, he knew, I'm lacking something. Something's not right. Something's not where it needs to be. And so Jesus pinpoints it. Yeah. You're lacking something. Now go do this and you will find that you're not lacking in that anymore. Go and burn the thing that you are trusting in and tr- learn to trust in God. Because he didn't just say, go and sell all you got, give it to the poor. He said, after you do that, come, take up your cross, and follow me. Oh, man, that's... I don't, I don't know that I can do all that. Hmm. And he went away grieved. He went away sad. I gave you these things. This is something I gave you many, many years ago. Dug it up. Brought it out for you again. There are three hindrances to honoring what God says. Three hindrances to honoring what God says. First off, I believe I'm right. Now you may say, well, of course I wouldn't believe that I'm right if God told me. But when God says it, we don't quite hear it. God may say it to us through person in our life speaking to us. This is what's what's so. No, I don't believe that. He may show it to us in his word. Nope, I don't believe that. I believe my way is right. That's why I'm doing it this way. I believe I'm right. If I believe I'm right, I'm not going to believe anyone who comes along and says anything different. Because I believe I'm right. We got to be careful. That attitude can get us into trouble. And we can be kept from things that are truth. And we'll be, we'll be kept from honoring the things of God. If I believe I'm right, then God says, here is what is true. And I say, no, I'm going to reject that and stay over here. I'm honoring something else other than what God has said. Well, all right, I'll do that as long as so-and-so does it too. Uh, that will not work either. So three hindrances to honoring what God says. First off, I believe I'm right. And if God says something to you, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, take up your cross, come follow me. No, nah, that's not right. That's not right. Second thing is, I want something. I want something. I know the Word of God says I shouldn't have this, but I want it. Do not be unequally yoked. Yes, but I love that person. Don't get involved in sexual sins. Yes, but it feels so right. This is, this, God must not mean that for me. I, 
I feel I'm right. Or I, I want something. I want that thing. And God may speak to me. God may show me in His Word. God may tell me different things about it. Nope, nope, I want it. I want that. And I'm not going to back down. Third one, I am resisting guidance. God is guiding me. God says, all right, you need to go this way. And we say, nope, I'm not going that way. Can you think of some people in the Bible that did that? I mean, Jonah is the poster child for this. God says, I want you to go that way and do that. He says, nope, I'm going this way instead. <laughs> he wants to go away as far away from that as he could. Even if the end result of what I'm pursuing is not something that I desire, it's not something that I want. If my beliefs have grown into unchallengeable truths, I will resist any change. If anyone wants to come over and challenge a truth that I have brought in, I have resisted honoring what God has said. I'm honoring what I think, what I want, what I'm pursuing. And someone else comes in, I have, I resist, I will resist them. I have an unchallengeable truth that I have accepted on the inside and I will not be moved from it. And I know God's on my side. I know God loves me. I don't care what you say about my lifestyle. I don't care what you say about how I'm living. I don't care what you're saying about how I believe. This is what I'm doing. You are not honoring the things of God. Is that person born again? That is not my call. But that's not a place I want to walk. So I either want to go or I refuse to go a certain way. I want to go this way. I don't want to go that way. And that's the way I'm going. Paul faced that on the road to Damascus. I'm going this way. I'm persecuting Christians. And God says, look, you keep going that way. It won't work out well. And so he says, you know what? I think I'll change the direction I'm going. And he did. But people who don't, they refuse to go. They refuse to yield. They'll put the fences around their reasons or their beliefs and they'll hide anything from others that will contradict. They'll hide it. Because I know if they see this contradiction, they're going to know, I know better. I'm not going to let them see that. This man had worked hard to honor God. He worked hard to honor what God said. He lived his life. I mean, how many people can say, I have lived my life since my youth doing that? And Jesus doesn't challenge him. He did not want to disobey what the Lord commanded. But he did not make himself ready to honor by obeying what God would speak to him. He wasn't ready for it. You've got to get yourself ready to honor it. You've got to get yourself ready to do it. To give up what he has not asked, what, what God has not asked, that he there is for God. To give up what he has not asked is to throw away or leave what we may need. Understand that is a tactic the enemy will use. He will get you to understand you got to give up some stuff. Oh, I'll give up this. God never asked you to give that up. You give it up. Now you don't have something that God equipped you with to be able to do what you what he wanted you to do. Don't give up what God doesn't say to give up. Don't hang on to what God says get rid of. 
But the enemy is always working the opposite way. He wants you to give up what you need and take on what will anchor you down. That's why you got to understand the voice of God. Learn the, the voice of God. Here's something else we gave you years ago. Three realms of, obe- uh, of obedience. Three realms of obedience. And honor and obedience are closely related here. The three realms of obedience. The first one is easy. You can write as much of this down in there as you want to. I had to cut out a lot of the stuff there. But the first is the easy realm. The rewards of faithfulness outweigh the obstacles. I can see real easy that it is better that I be faithful, that it is better that I be true here than not. It benefits me. I have renewed myself well on God's word and purpose. I know what he says about this and I am not having a problem. Here's an example of this. Thou shalt not steal. How many generally find that pretty easy to do? I don't walk into the store and fight the temptation. Oh, I just want to go behind the counter and steal everything out of the register. I mean, we don't fight that temptation. We don't go in the back and say, boy, I can just take all this stuff and put it in my bag and just... No. Now, a lot of that is, I, I think I can get caught. And I don't want the embarrassment. I don't want the hassle. I don't want the court costs. I don't want that to get a lawyer. I don't want all those things. And so, it's real easy for me to say... Yep, God, you know, you are right on that. It is good for me not to steal. I walk into the store. I walk into the bank. I do not feel the need to hold it up. I I just don't do it. Now, if you were good at it, if you had walked a life of crime and you got so good at doing this that you felt like you could do it without any repercussions, it might move out of the easy area. Maybe it goes into the into the next area. But for most of us, this is something that's pretty much in the easy area. Yeah. Ah, I don't need to do that. Some other things that might be there. Uh, getting drunk. That's ah, a piece of cake for me to stay out of that. Other people might say, no, nah, it's, not, it's not so easy for me. So it depends on the person. But for all of us, there are some things that are just real easy to not do. I realize and understand the implications when it says, this is what will come upon you. Yep, I believe that. That'll come upon me. I'm staying out of that. Here's the second area, the challenging area. The rewards of faithfulness are not quite as clear here. I need more clarity from God's Word in order to be successful. Now, here's a place where you can see this. The Word of God tells us to walk by the Spirit. Most Christians tend to have a, a difficulty not walking by the flesh. I don't mean all the time, but but sometimes. We walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and then somebody does some fleshly thing and it stirs something up on the inside of you and you revert back to flesh. Cuss them out. Pronounce all kinds of evil upon them. How'd you get into the flesh so easy? Oh, see, it's easy to stay out of the flesh for those things that don't challenge my flesh. But as soon as my flesh begins to be challenged and it wants to pull me back into there, hmm, that's so, uh, that's quite so easy. I bet you when we get up into heaven, if Achan is up there, we could say, why is it that that temptation was, was so, why did it pull at you so much? I mean, this is not a lifestyle that you lived. You didn't go into people's tents and take stuff. Why was that? And you might be able to tell us something. 
that no, I hadn't really wrestled with that, but all of a sudden, this day, I got in there, I saw stuff, oh man, I'd just never seen anything like that before. And it challenged him. Here's the third area, difficult. The rewards of faithfulness are unknown. Knowledge is lacking or corrupted. The enemy loves to corrupt knowledge, gets you to pursue the wrong thing. We know the Word of God says to be faithful until the end. Endure to the end, right? And we, we know about those verses. But really, what exactly happens to you if you endure to the end? I mean, he says you'll be blessed. I mean, he promises good things, but what exactly are those? I mean, do I get a mansion that's twice as big as anybody else's? Do I get a riverfront property? I mean, come on, give me some specifics. Tell me what it is that I'm going for. When you say, I will be blessed, what does that mean? But you see, it's a little unclear exactly what that means. And so when we face those situations where we have to endure to the end, and the end looks like it's getting close, hmm, it can, it can press on us a little bit. Because I'm not quite as clear. So those are the three areas of difficulty. And generally, the reason that they get cloudy is I'm not so sure what I will get if I do this. People get involved in a lot of flesh areas of sin because they feel like the pleasures of sin for today outweigh whatever's going to come to me down the road. They don't trust that God means what he says. Hey, it's going to hurt you. Until they go down that road and they keep on walking and say, boy, I wish I would have listened to God. Oh, I wish I would have stayed out of this lifestyle. Oh, I wish I would not have gotten involved. I wish I would not have shot up those drugs the first time. I wish I wouldn't have smoked that or done that or said that or whatever it might be. It got us caught up into a lifestyle. It just doesn't seem like we can get out. So I'll leave you with this. How much positive thought are you giving to what God said compared to the positive thought you give to going your own way? I got my own way I can go. And a lot of times we give that a lot of positive thought. If I go this way and I do this, I will get this and I will obtain this and this will happen. If I go God's way, I got to give all that stuff up. I'm not giving a whole lot of positive thought to the things of God. That means I'm not honoring the things of God. Not giving honor in that way. You look at people in the in the Bible. Daniel gave honor to what God had told him about meat sacrificed to idols. Gave honor to it. Guys, we're, we're, let's go this way. And they all said, "Yeah, let's do that." And they went in that direction. There's always going to be temptations to try and pull us out of honoring God, honoring His Word, honoring the things that He's told us to do. Honoring the people that God has put around us. We can tend to fall into the temptations like they did in the wilderness and they began to speak against Moses. Began to speak against Aaron. Even Aaron and Miriam spoke against Moses. They stopped honoring the things that God said he honored because they wanted to honor themselves. They wanted to honor their own way. You're going to face that temptation no matter where you are in your Christian walk. Even the higher you get in the Christian walk, you will find out, just as Moses did, you can come to your rock, 
And instead of speaking to it, you may strike it. That won't go over so well. Understand Moses, even though he struck the rock, did not do what God said, God still came through for the people. Just because you are being used of God, and whatever it is that you did, didn't mean God is for whatever, however it is that you did it. But if we walk into a, a place of honor, if I walk into a pathway of honor, and I continually honor the things of God, regardless of whether I fully understand what will come to me if I do. God, you said this. This is how I understand what you said. This is what I will walk against or walk according to. I will walk according to the things that you have shown me. And that's what God expects. Remember in the story of the talents? Out of your own mouth, I'll judge you. You said this is the kind of man I was. And he judged him according to that. My understanding, God takes into consideration. But walk according to how you understand God to be. And as you do, God is going to show you some more things. He's going to show you some new things. Some of those things may challenge you. But it's all designed to bring you to a greater place of honor. Because the more honor I can bestow upon Him, the more honor I can put on the things that He speaks to me, the more I open the door for Him to honor me. One of the biggest difference between the people that God blessed and the people that God did not bless or could not bless. Those people that God could not bless were people who would not honor Him. Or they hit a certain level of honor. This rich man has a level of honor that he will do. You say, don't murder, I can honor that. You say, don't steal, I can honor that. You say, don't commit adultery, I can honor that. You tell me, go sell all that you have, I can't honor that. He hit his level of honor. That's all that he could do. Saul hit his level of honor. God said, go in and destroy Amalek, the Amalek, Amalekites. And he hit a level he couldn't go any further. He couldn't do any more. This is where it had to stop. And he walked free from it. And he walked free from the blessing. God said, I've rejected you. Jeroboam had a level of honor that he walked in or God wouldn't have selected him. But then he hit his threshold. If I let people go on down to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices, they will eventually leave me, kill me. So we got to do something else. And he took the honor off the things of God and he put the honor on the things that came to him. We're going to set up new gods. We're going to make priests of our of every class of people. You can go one after another, after another, after another, after another. They hit a level of honor. They hit that threshold. And they quit. And they couldn't get to the other things that were out there. This man feels like I don't have eternal life yet. I don't know that that was really his problem. He may have been walking in eternal life. 
But he kept feeling like there's something I'm missing. Something I'm not quite getting there on. And Jesus tried to show him, this is how you can get it. But he could not honor that. Don't tell God how much you honor him if you are not willing to honor his word. Because if I honor him, I honor his word. God speaks it to me, I do it. I obey. Yes, sir. I don't quite understand all that, but yes, sir, I will do that. Don't hit a threshold in honor. You'll always be challenged. And God's always challenging us. Come on up here to this higher level of honor. Come on up. I can do more with you up here. But eventually, some Christians stopped. Don't be one of those who stops. When you hit a new challenging level of honor, to honor what God said. I didn't, I didn't know that you said that. Oh boy, that's going to be real hard for me to do. Well, are you going to give honor to the things that are making it hard to do? Or are you going to give honor to God who said it? People always have reasons. You look at how people get into, into these sins. People move in with each other. How, uh, a girlfriend, boyfriend move in with each other. Why? Well, we needed to save money. God wants us to save money. Well, we, we wanted to do this. Well, we didn't feel like this. Would, well, the, and they have all the reasons. No, what you're doing is you're giving honor to something else, not giving honor to God. And it's not just that. There's all kinds of things. This particular one dealt with money. Sometimes we honor God in everything but our money. Now, not you. Our, our church here doesn't really have that, that issue. But there are people always trying to come up with, well, has God really said I should tithe? Has God really said that? I mean, is that, that's Old Testament. Uh-huh. That's why Jesus talked about it in the New Testament. Well, should you tithe on the gross or should you tithe on the net? Anybody ever heard that? I had the best answer. I, I didn't have the best. I was given the best answer for that. Uh, what do you want to be blessed on? <laughs> Woo, that changes things, doesn't it? <laughs> what do you want to be blessed on? Yep. Do you trust God? Well, I would love to tithe and give 10% to God, but you know, we just have all these things going on right now. And as soon as I'm able, no, what you're doing is you're honoring other things before God. Don't honor the other things. If God says to do something, live that way. God, this is going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. But we're going to do it. Whatever it is that God has said. Would you stand up with me? Father, we want to have our lives lived, be lived in such a way that we are giving honor to you. We demonstrate to the world around us that we honor the things of God. We demonstrate to the people that are near us that we honor the things of God. The people know, well, they won't do that because that goes against what they believe God said. And they will know we are people who will honor God above all else. The enemy is always trying to get us to bring something in that we will honor before our God. 
If you can get one thing in, then down the road you can get two. If you can get two things in, down the road you can get three. Pretty soon you can move God further and further down on the list. But if we are honoring something different than what your word told us, I pray, Father, that you show us and that we would take that knowledge that you gave us and put it to work. Like God says, this is in the way. I need to remove it. I need to deal with it the way he said to deal with it. I need to do whatever it is that he said and honor him. Our life is constantly a place being challenged to honor the things of God. People in this world will make it tough. Even other Christians can make it tough. But we want to honor you. Because if we give you honor, you can honor us. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Keep the things of honor ever before you. Be mindful of what it is that you're honoring and giving honor to. God will show you what things you have honored above him, what things you have honored above his word, and how you can fix it. Have a blessed rest of the day. I know we're missing a whole lot of our folks here today, but good to have you. Bless some of the people before you, you get out.